The study of the universe is split into many different disciplines, but the major one is the division between the humanities, or soft sciences, and the STEM sciences. The latter are considered objective and experimental because their findings are grounded solely in the conditions of the experiment. The STEM sciences are objective in the predictions they are able to generate. The science is able to discover new knowledge by deducing it from the truth that was established by experiment. Experiments are tests to see if the assumptions hold true and give reliable findings. However, the humanities do not share these features with the hard sciences. The soft sciences are narrative and sometimes anecdotal. But it has to be assumed there is a coherency in reality if belied by the way we look at the universe. The question we need to consider is this compartmentalization justified by the evidence or even the results. The question is made interesting because regardless of whether the universe evolved or was created, we assume the process remained the same throughout. The fact that the two processes are incongruous and incompatible ought to encourage us in our search for truth. If things did not seem illogical and incompatible with juxtaposed to one another, we would have to give up the search for truth. Even so, we can see the two worldviews are not equal nor convertible. The naturalist process relies on phenomenological processes to determine truth, and this precludes absolutes. Yet, trying to talk about truth while omitting absolutes is a self-defeating objective. To eliminate all objectivity and absoluteness would make relativity an absolute. It would also make the process impossible. We cannot eliminate all absolutes without eliminating the process itself. It is incoherent to claim all truth is relative though it is true to say all facts are relative. If it is only relatively true, it is a fact, not a truth. Facts are observations made phenomenologically. It is therefore permissible to say all facts are contingent because observations made by the senses cannot be validated. But if facts are all there is and facts are predictable events based on causal reoccurrences, then science could never determine what laws govern the universe. Laws are descriptions of perceived patterns when they relate to nature and imposed patterns or regularities when they are legal or political laws. But the law when imposed on dynamic systems are counterproductive. Social systems are dynamic. Societies are always in flux and are required to adapt to rapidly changing situations. These influences and forces may be internal or external. People change and events also change people. The law needs to change, but the mechanisms for changing the law are as restrictive and as moribund as the law itself. Conventional sciences study law. Scientists look for regularities and events that can be predicted. 
Naturally, this means a fixed relationship between cause and effect is assumed. If we throw a ball, it will follow a defined trajectory. We understand the forces of nature and the way they interrelate. We can predict the trajectory the ball will travel unless someone hits it with a bat. However, we cannot predict the path Fred will take to get to the store. We cannot predict whether the driver will pull over for the policeman or attempt to elude capture. The latter are dynamic systems and beyond the power of science to predict because they manifest no regularities or causal connections between cause and effect. The lack of predictability in the humanities is not just an inconvenience, it destroys faith, the foundation of civilization. If we lack faith in each other and our institutions, how can we afford to invest heavily in building up the accoutrements of a civilized nation? If we cannot predict the behavior of other people, we cannot trust other people. The lack in faith is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we do not trust others, we will do that which reduces the level of trust people have in us. If we think the other person is not to be trusted, pulling out a gun and threatening them will not make them more trustworthy. The threat level will need to be maintained or increased. We know the smaller mass always moves towards the larger mass. This is predictable and the way physical bodies are attracted to each other is predictable. The predictability of the material realm is why we have science and technology. To a certain extent, we can predict people's behavior statistically but not individually. We know if we add value to a product, customers will prefer the option that contains the added value than the one without. People are predictable to the degree they are rational. Reason is guided by value. There is no rational path to the destruction of value. When we think logically, we think morally. The moral thing to do is to create value. But rationality is not a personal choice in that being rational is not an isolated activity. If we are logical and wish to create value, we do this by acting in league with others. But this is a problem because we will do this only to the extent we have faith in the reasonableness of others. Faith is central to the creation of value and rationality. The rational person will exhibit faith and the person with faith will exhibit those traits we deem rational. Rationality will also reflect morality. The moral person is rational and vice versa. Without faith or a reason for faith, the rational person has no motivation to act rationally. If rational people are moral and moral persons create value as a rational act of faith, then the morality of a person is commensurate with their willingness to create value. If a rational person is predictable in their actions in the sense the rational being will always do that action.
which produces the most value for that time and place, we can predict responses of a person to the degree we are dealing with a rational person. And we can predict that to the degree observation diverges from the expectation, the person is not acting rationally. More importantly, we can assume that the rational person is a moral person. The person who acts in a rational way will also act in a way considered moral. All of this will be consistent with a person who consistently produces the most value. The key to the universal science is the ability to measure value. This will tell us who is moral and rational and who is not. But what is value? We might claim the world has value, sunsets have value, and a good wife has value, but such claims are irrelevant if the value alluded to is subjective, not objective. Subjective impressions do not serve as a basis for science. There is the additional problem of causality. Even if a life has value, we did not create it and so there is no virtue connected to it. The fact that a human life is said to have value does not mean that moral virtue accrues to the person. The value of human life cancels itself out when considered as a class of things. No one has more virtue or value than another, so we owe no one anything because of their speculated value. We create widgets by work. It is the work that is expended that gives objectivity to the value attributed to an object. It is the labor that goes into the producing of a service that gives the work we do its value. It is rational to add value because it makes things more valuable. Labor applied to flint makes an arrowhead. An arrowhead has more value than natural stone, therefore it is rational to make stone into arrowheads. It is even more rational to invest enough capital that arrowheads can be made from metal. This reduces the cost per arrowhead which increases the value embedded in the product. Increasing the value of things has a lot to do with lowering costs. It is rational to expect a reward for what is done. We want our work to have value. If a person is not paid for what they do, they will no longer be motivated to produce value, as it will appear as if their work has no or little value. If they think they are creating value but not receiving value, they will view others as a source of risk and a threat to their survival. If what they do serves to benefit others and not them, the others will cease to have value for the one being exploited. On the other hand, no one wants to overpay the content creator for his or her work. This is why there has to be an accounting and for this there must be a unit of account. A unit of account is an objectively determined amount of work that is given the value of one. This unit serves as the basis of a scale against which the value of all other output can be compared. Value is represented by what are called preferred shares. 
preferred shares being issued in response to value being added to capital. A business represents capital. Equity is the value added to that capital. The capital is expressed in as common shares, whereas the value added to capital is issued in the form of preferred shares. The recording of the value of the labor added has to be in a unit of measure that is of the same class of things as other systems of measurements. The units that record length and temperature are constants. Only when it comes to measuring value does man use the thing he measures. The dollar and gold are assets with value because they have had work expended on them. A thing with value is measuring value. If you spend a gold coin you are not just spending money you are bartering gold for whatever is being purchased. This is more apparent if cars or cigarettes were used as currency. Many people who buy cigarettes smoke them, others may not smoke, but cigarettes can be traded for something else valued more. Dollars and other currencies, including species, are in the same category of things as cigarettes used as a currency. Just because it has been monetized does not mean it is not a product still. An observer does not purchase inches or degrees of heat. Why must money be obtained before we buy goods? Indeed, why does someone have to purchase units of value before starting a business and creating jobs? This is a serious bottleneck in the process of wealth generation. In some nations these bottlenecks are such that it becomes next to impossible to develop the economy. This monopolization of the money supply is just one more symptom of federalism and the federal form of government. When power is concentrated too much wealthy is siphoned from the base to enrich the top. Federalism creates fear because it creates risk for content creators. Indeed, in a federalist system there is not only a risk of having what you created taken from you, you are guaranteed to lose much of what you created to the social agenda of the central government. The universal science postulates a universal constant. This does not exist as a matter of convenience, it is an absolute necessity. The steep gradients of power of federalism need to be erased and power shifted back to where it belongs, at the base. This cannot be done without the existence of an objective standard. Value is created by work and work is labor that transforms assets into something more suitable to be used by humans. Work is divided into hours. So much value can be created within an hour. This value is what is considered one-fortieth of a living wage. Forty hours of work ought to produce a wage that the average person can live on comfortably. This unit might be compared to a yard measurement. A yard is divided into inches to make the unit of measure more convenient. 
In this same way, the living wage ought to be divided by a factor that would make smaller purchases more convenient. In this scenario, a living wage could be set at 20 units times 40 as the standard work week. This value of the living wage is tied to the value of the preferred shares. The base unit is the prefer, a contraction of preferred share, designated by the symbol when utilized as a unit of exchange or currency. 20.00 is set by convention as the value of an hour of work. But the prefer may not be viewed as a viable standard of value, let as a universal standard designed to unify the sciences. But we have not discussed how such a monetary unit would be issued. We have alluded to the work added to assets to generate equity and discussed how equity is issued in the form of preferred shares, but not when preferred shares are utilized as prefers a regional currency. If prefers are introduced as a way to combat the federalist system, then the prefer currency cannot be issued by or utilized by a federalist entity, let alone federalist governments. This is a crucial point. The development of a unified science is part of a shift from a federalist system to a regional system. The federalist system centralizes power and ownership. The regional paradigm decentralizes power and ownership and therefore puts economic development into the hands of local groups and individuals. To do this they have to have a currency with all bottlenecks and restraints removed. We know labor produces equity and equity is the source of our monetary system's value. But this holds true only if we can work as we need to. This means access to assets cannot be under federal regulators. Access to work cannot be federally regulated or the currency will of necessity be determined by federal law. But we also know no federal government has ever produced anything real or generated anything of value. In their essential nature they be parasites feeding off of the real producers of value. Federalism is based on a lie that they have value and are needed. No human has ever created anything real, and no human has ever created anything of real or natural value. Our entire value comes from the actual work we do to transform what was given to us by God. So, centralized authority claiming jurisdiction over property is an usurpation of the rights of the Creator, who in this context happens to be God. Federalists cannot justify their power by claiming they produce value for their subjects. It is technically impossible for them to do this. There is no other agent or agency that can claim jurisdiction over the universe but God. Either God owns reality or no one does and it is open season on the natural world. However, if God owns what he creates then we own what we create. 
God owns the assets of nature and creators of content own the equity their work adds to assets. But the question is how do those who do the work get paid if federalism is not a moral or logical option? Regional ownership is akin to dominion. Man has dominion over the earth, but it is not federated or anarchist in operation. We own the jurisdiction we have assumed responsibility for. Regional ownership is the vehicle through which we express our stewardship over the land. The question is then, how does this modification in the way we operate eliminate the possibility of social costs? But remember, social costs are the results of a social agenda and social agendas are justifications for usurping the universal principle, always pay for the costs you create. In this sense all regionals need do or all that needs to be done is to ensure the universal principle is honored. A simple enough request, unless we remember that federalism is founded on the creation and implementation of social agendas. The dilemma ought to be apparent without further elucidation. One cannot get rid of social agendas within a federalist system. If we do not eliminate all social agendas, we will not be able to eliminate social costs. It is impossible to eliminate social costs if federalism is maintained. Regionalism defeats federalism and with federalism gone so goes the justification for social costs. Under a regional system unemployment, debt, poverty, inflation, pollution, waste, taxation, homelessness, war, property crime and the cost of the state generally are eliminated. It might be thought that a long book is required to explain how the elimination of social costs is accomplished. Such is not the case. The truth is always simple. To eliminate social costs, we give people access to assets. We pay people the value they earn. It is that simple it is just not simple in a federalist system. But how does the implementation of regionalism translate into a universal science? Science is first and foremost a job and as with all jobs its purpose is to create value. Science is just a less direct way to transform nature into a more useful state. It does this partly through acquiring knowledge about nature. This information enables us to do things more productively. This makes the creation of information into the creation of technology. By allowing people access to nature and the tools of science and seeing this as work, science is harnessed to the needs of man. However, there is more. The prefer refers or points to an ontological ideal or the desired state we aspire to. This ideal is inversely related to entropy. The purpose of man is to negate the entropic principle. This is manifest at the human level in the prefer. 
gravity, the charge of the electron, the speed of light reflects the homocentric principle. That is the idea that the universe and its design centers on humankind. The least entropy or waste required to produce a unit of value gives us the best-case scenario. The prefer is a constant representing the preferred state of man and it is this towards which we must strive. Apologetic is the universal science as it does not just justify the Bible it validates our central place in the universe. It is by us creating value that we come to understand the universe, and in understanding it we are able to transform it to something even more suited for human life. Apologetic not only amalgamates all the sciences, hard and soft, into an experimental science, it demonstrates that this science can only be understood as a way to put mankind at the center of the scientific process. If we wish to discover the truth, we have to discover what has value for humanity and what creates value for humankind. If it is not building us up, it is harming us and can be experimentally proven to be grounded in a falsified presumption, for example, that God does not exist or that the Bible is errant.